someone recently said to, uh, to my wife as she was, I think, planning a trip, a camping trip, and the outcome was unsure what the weather was gonna be like maybe. I can't remember what the circumstances were, but they said, it'll either be a good time or a good story. We've, we've seen how that proves to be true in many circumstances in life. We all love a good story. Our family has our own set of stories that we've told over the years, probably like your family does as well. Uh, when you've come to our home, maybe for lunch or to visit, and we start sharing stories with one another, our kids could actually jump in and finish those stories for us because they've heard them many times. I remember in my childhood, uh, we had a, some family friends that I especially liked it when we got together with them. Uh, the, the father's name was Kurt, and Kurt was a fabulous storyteller. I always loved to hear him tell stories. My favorite was probably one of his stories he talked about from his childhood. He kind of grew out in a rural area, and he and some of his friends had found a, a, a creek that was pretty wide, and it had a deep swimming hole that they loved to swim in, and eventually they decided that they would build a zip line over this swimming hole. And so, and he was quite the uh, industrious man, it sounds like, even in his youth. And so he anchored this, this zip line to a tree on one side and, and it went across at a pretty steep angle down to the, the top of the bank on the other side. And he said this creek had, had large uh, precipices of banks. It was very steep, a little bit of shore, and then this deep creek where they would drop into. He said it was, it was really delicate because once you got on the zip line and started going, when you got to the edge, wherever you saw the water start, you had to let go so that your momentum would carry you into the middle of this deep swimming hole. So he was telling us this story and he said, one day uh, a new boy showed up. It's a, someone they knew from school and he'd heard about the swimming hole and he was one of the tough kids that nothing would scare him and he showed up and he was ready to try the zip line out and so they said, are you sure? It's pretty scary and it's pretty fast. He said, I'm not scared of anything. So he described this boy getting up and grabbing the handle and he's looking around like I've got this and he, he steps off the edge and starts sliding and then he realizes how quickly the ground dropped away underneath him and his grip got tighter and tighter. And sure enough, as he picked up speed and right as he got to the water's edge, he didn't let go and they're all screaming, let go, let go. And he was white knuckled holding this, this, this rail, this handle as he's zipping across the creek. And about the time he got to the other side of the creek, he realized I need to let go and he did. And Kurt described it just masterfully of this bully, this brave boy letting go just in time to hit the other side of the bank and slowly slide down all the way to the ground. He said they jumped down, they climbed down, swam across the creek, got there as he got up, staggered about, brushed the dirt off of himself and said, that was fun. <laughs> and got on his bicycle and never came back. I doubt that that boy ever told that story to other people. I'm sure his, these other boys told that. Usually the stories that we tell, we don't wanna talk about times when we've been humiliated. When, when we've been the one who said, I can do this, I can handle it, and then we, we don't. That's our tendency, is we wanna tell the stories that maybe show our achievements, times when we were strong and others were weak, but actually, when that's our, when that's our instinct, we can fail to tell the most important story that anybody may hear from us. We wanna talk about our encounters with, with victory, 
not like this boy and his encounter with a zip line or a bank on the other side. We don't want to talk about our encounters with failure or our humbling situations. And in that, we forget the shape of that most important narrative of our lives, of our encounter with Jesus. Today, we're gonna hear the story of a man who encountered Jesus, and in that story, it may help us remember how we encounter him too, not only at the beginning, but throughout our lives. We're gonna be looking at Mark today. We're gonna take a, a pause, a step back from Isaiah today and look at Mark chapter 10, the story that we find in beginning in verse 46. As you turn there, let me give you a little bit of context. Just before this, Jesus had told his disciples a third time that he was going to die. Jesus' earthly ministry was drawing him closer and closer to the cross. We're gonna read that they passed through Jericho, and Jericho is about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem, but it's about 3,300 feet lower in elevation. And what we find just before this is that Jesus, his disciples, and a large crowd of people had actually been traveling on the eastern side of the Jordan River and had crossed the Jordan and were coming through Jericho. That kind of reminds me of the Israelites and their, their uh, march into, uh, into the promised land. We have Jesus leading this throng of people as he is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, just after this morning's passage is what we know as the triumphant entry of Jesus. Palm Sunday, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. So what is just after this story is Jesus going into Jerusalem where we know everything is moving toward his crucifixion. So this is a time when Jesus' heart is heavy and the crowds are following him, waiting to see what is going to happen. With that, if you're able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word from, Matthew, from Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stand forever. You may be seated. There's a very brief outline there in your bulletin. I know not much space to take notes, but I'm just gonna look at these four points and this, this narrative, this very short account, which Mark, we uh, believe, and it's, it's widely held that Mark is probably recording for us Peter's narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus. And Peter um, must have been uh, taken with this story because he shares details that none of the other gospel writers share, particularly the name of this blind beggar. 
Peter got to know him. He, he wanted to know his name. Who are you? Tell me about what has happened to you. So we find that first, Bartimaeus was desperate for mercy. Verse 46, they came to Jericho, and as he, that is Jesus, was leaving uh, Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So Bartimaeus is gonna cry out for mercy. The word mercy, it means compassion and pity. We've talked about the word gentleness before, which gentleness is strength that accommodates another's weakness. That's what someone who is gentle, they have strength, but they accommodate the weakness of someone else. Well, mercy is compassion that acts to relieve the distress of someone who is vulnerable. So, so mercy is a position of strength in a way, a, a position of having an abundance and somehow relieving the one who is without, relieving the one who is in distress. And Bartimaeus, we're told, was a blind beggar. He's a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. Now, we don't see that much here. We do from time to time. But in some places of the, of the world, that's still very common. Those who sit outside and, and wait and collect alms, especially those who have some kind of disability. Bartimaeus, because he was blind, could not work. He couldn't work in the fields. He, they didn't have factories. He didn't have a job he could do. So he t was totally dependent on the generosity of other people, even the generosity of strangers. And so he would sit by the road begging, pleading, please help me, please help me. What we see in Bartimaeus is total helplessness, complete vulnerability. That is not a place where we typically start our stories. We heard earlier from 2 Corinthians, and I mentioned how it's a, a letter, an epistle of Paul that I go back to over and over and over and we heard in chapter 12, Paul talking about how he had learned that it's in his weakness that Christ's power is displayed. That's not the only time he talks about that. Actually, if you have a Bible and can turn to 2 Corinthians, I wanna read just a little account from the end of chapter 11. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time in 2 Corinthians, and this, this, these verses struck me in a new way just very recently. But Paul is defending his ministry in several letters, not, uh, and to include this epistle, he's defending his ministry against those who are his detractors and trying to uh, somehow uh, um, make him an illegitimate apostle in the eyes of the people. And Paul talks about many things that he's encountered and endured just before this passage. He talks about how he's been, how he's been um, persecuted for the gospel's sake. But I wanna read verse 30 through 32, or through 33. So if Paul, the apostle, is trying to defend his ministry, what would you say? How are you going, Paul, to step forward and show that, that you are a true, legitimate servant of Jesus Christ? What are you going to boast in? Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Let me pause there. That sounds a lot like chapter 12, what we read earlier. He says, I'm gonna boast of the things that show my weakness. So, okay, Paul, what are you gonna talk about? Maybe your, your humility or you're gonna talk about um, some great attribute. Listen to what he, what he says, next verse. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me 
but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul says, at the very beginning of my ministry, and if you recall, it's on the road to Damascus where Paul encountered Christ and is converted and called to ministry, a ministry of suffering, and he's in Damascus right after that, and he's already beginning to to talk with, with Jews there, he's beginning to minister, and he has opposition, and he says, and listen to what I did. I climbed in a basket and snuck out. That's how the great and mighty Paul says, this is the beginning of ministry for me in Christian life. This is where I start. And if I'm gonna boast in something, I'm gonna boast about my weakness where I had to climb in a basket and scared and trembling perhaps had to be lowered down out of the side of a wall. Paul's not running away from his own frailty. He actually holds it up because it's, it's even in that weakness that Christ blesses his ministry for the years to come, everything he encounters, the churches planted, the, the men discipled, the explosion of the gospel, he says it began in my weakness and frailty. So I'll boast in that. Paul, why would you do that? <laughs> because it declares the power of Christ. This is Jesus' work. Jesus is doing this. Paul learned that God's grace is sufficient for him and that God's power is made perfect in weakness. It's demonstrated, it's seen even in our weakness. Now, there are barriers that keep us from wanting to recognize our need for God's mercy. Like Bartimaeus recognized, sometimes our sense of entitlement keeps us from recognizing our need for God's mercy. Sometimes we wanna say, you know what, I'm, compared to other people, I'm a pretty good person, I'm a pretty good man, I'm a pretty good woman, I'm a, I'm a good student, I deserve good things. Actually, I don't need mercy, what I just need is reward for what I've done. That actually keeps us from ever really recognizing our real condition before God. Sometimes we're also hindered because we actually doubt the reality of God's mercy that he actually will show up and relieve us, that he'll show up and give us what we truly and desperately need. Bartimaeus' story starts there, does ours. Who could possibly help blind Bartimaeus or us when we're in such a vulnerable position? We read about that in verse 47 and 48. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In the time of Jesus, in in first century and in Judah, the terms son of David and Messiah were synonymous. This will be apparent at the triumphal entry as the children and others cry out, Hosanna to the son of David and the, the Pharisees are indignant. How dare you, Jesus, receive such a claim? This terminology, son of David, actually goes back to 2 Samuel verse, or chapter seven, where God makes a promise to David that he would have an heir, a successor who would have an eternal kingdom. And the people were longing for this, this Davidic uh, heir, this, this Davidic king who would come and be the Messiah, who would, who would save his people. And they were looking for a military, a military deliverer more and more. This is the one who was promised would come and secure a kingdom that would be forever. And the, the Pharisees though, as they heard about Jesus and heard him speak and they questioned the authority of Jesus, they actually said, we believe that you are aligned not with David but with Beelzebub. You have an evil spirit guiding you. But not Bartimaeus. (laughs) 
Bartimaeus was desperate and he cried out to Jesus, the Messiah, for mercy, for pity, for compassion. Matthew Henry, the commentator of old, wrote this, in coming to Christ for help and healing, we should have an eye to him as the promised Messiah, the trustee of mercy and grace. Henry says that that Jesus is the trustee of mercy and grace. God has entrusted that to his son. It's ironic, really, in this story that the religious leaders of the day were blind to the true identity of Jesus himself, but a blind beggar could see it clearly. Do we see Jesus clearly? Do we see him as the trustee of mercy and grace? Do we know who to cry out to? Bartimaeus cried out, son of David, have mercy on me, and the crowd said, Bartimaeus, hush, be quiet. Don't cry out to him. Bartimaeus, as some would say, bless his heart, he just kept on yelling that much much louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. God loves persistence in prayer. And so Bartimaeus shows us that he cried out to the Messiah. Do we? In verse 49 to 51, the story continues. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi. Actually, the, the, um, the Greek uses the Hebrew Rabboni, which is more like Lord or Master. Let me recover my sight. Jesus stopped. Jesus is leading this huge processional of disciples in a crowd of people, a large crowd of people, and he is on his way. His, his gaze is set toward Jerusalem. He's getting ready to ascend those 3,300 feet in elevation change over 15 miles, and the Jerusalem is waiting for him, and a, another hill that he will mount there called Golgotha. He knows that the road is leading to the cross. His, he's set like a flint toward Jerusalem, and yet he stops in his course because he hears the cry of a blind beggar. Jesus was moved with compassion. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, we find the same thing when Jesus is, is in a crowd and it's a, it's a leper who rushes up to him. And if a leper rushed into a crowd, people would run away. They don't wanna be anywhere near a leper, much less touch them. And Mark recorded back in the first chapter that Jesus had compassion on him and reached his hand out and touched him. <laughs> this is our savior our Savior whose, whose gaze is looked at a, at a cross and who knows that that's the path before him, but he stops to hear the plea of a blind beggar or he stops to touch a leper. Jesus is powerful and he is merciful. He is determined and he is compassionate. Jesus asked the others in the crowd, he says to them, call him. I don't think he was only being gracious to Bartimaeus, I wonder if he went by Bart. He wasn't only being gracious to Bartimaeus, but also to the crowd for allowing them to be conduits of his grace. He says to his followers, you go and call him to me. That's what he still beckons us to do. Go and call them, bring them to me. And they did so. They told Bartimaeus, be encouraged, the Savior's calling you. The call of Jesus, it's, a, it's an invitation to his compassionate love and care. And we're told about Bartimaeus' reaction. 
that he threw his cloak off. That's kind of interesting. Like we think, you know, why include that detail? That seems like a small thing. Uh, Here's what the um, Easton's Bible Dictionary talks about a cloak in Jesus' day. It would be an exterior tunic, wide and long, reaching to the ankles, but without sleeves. It served as an outer garment, but it wasn't just for fashion. Actually, it was quite long, and so we think, well, maybe Bartimaeus didn't want to trip over his cloak, and so he took it off. But a cloak was very important in that day, and we actually know this from the Old Testament. In Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 24, we're told that if someone puts up their cloak as security for a loan, like collateral, that you have to return the cloak to them before sunset. So if somebody is taking out a loan and they say, I'm gonna give you my cloak as collateral on my loan, you are obligated to not let the sun go down before you give it back to them because they will need it for cover. A cloak was was a garment to protect them from the elements. It was essential for that. So, So a cloak was, especially for a poor blind beggar, maybe the most valuable thing he owns. That's why a cloak could be put up as collateral for a loan. Cloaks were valuable, hard to come by. There is one other aspect of this that, I've, that I think is interesting that's been proposed, and that is for a blind beggar on the side of a road, he would probably have laid his cloak out over his lap and in front of him so that as people came by, they would throw their coins onto the cloak. It was where he would gather the means by which he would live, the means by which he would then buy food. And so when Mark tells us that when the people went to Bartimaeus and said, take courage, arise, he's calling you, and he throws his cloak off. I don't know that this is just Bartimaeus trying to make sure he doesn't get tangled up. We see Bartimaeus abandoning the most valuable thing in his life, abandoning the thing that provided him the most protection and potentially throwing aside everything that had been given to him to run to Jesus. That's no small detail. Like we sang earlier, let goods and kindred go. He was ready to let it all go, to depart with everything, to run to Christ. What holds us back from running to Jesus? What keeps us from running to Christ? Not only, this isn't only about conversion, but this is actually about the entire Christian life. It's a life of repentance and returning and running to Christ. What holds us back? Sometimes it's love for sin. Hebrews chapter 12 Right after uh, the, the great depiction of the hall of faith we talk about in Hebrews 11 and all those who've, who've trusted God by faith, right after that, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about those who bear testimony to God's faithfulness, let us, he's writing to Christians, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There, is, there, is, there are things that cling closely to us. And he says it's every weight and sin. Sin clings closely. So he says we have to cast those aside, throw them off like Bartimaeus with his cloak. And he says let us run with endurance looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying, throw those things off so you can pursue, so you can run hard after Jesus Christ, like we see in Bartimaeus. Sometimes we 
we don't run to him. And what keeps us from running to Jesus is that it would require us admitting our true need for him. It would, it would be us admitting he is the one that we depend on for everything. And sometimes we don't wanna admit that. We don't wanna admit that everything else in my life is, it can't provide what only Christ can give. And so there's a humble aspect of then rejecting those things, that, that's a work of faith, but then running hard after him, that can hinder us as well. Listen to Matthew Henry one more time. Note the gracious invitations Christ gives us to come to him. They are great encouragements to our hope that we shall speed well if we come to him and shall have what we come for. Let the guilty, the empty, the tempted, the hungry, the naked be of good comfort for he calls them to be pardoned, to be supplied, to be filled, to be clothed, to have all that done for him, for them, which their case calls for. Jesus will give whatever your case calls for. Nothing Nothing will hinder him from doing so. Bartimaeus came up to Jesus and Jesus asked him a question. Bartimaeus, what do you want? Jesus already knew, but he wanted him to ask. He wants us to ask. He wants us to share our longings with him, to confess our needs. And the blind beggar was humble enough and desperate enough and trusting enough to tell Jesus what he desired. That's a scary thing to tell someone what you want. They may refuse you. They may say, but that's not what you need. Bartimaeus was desperate. He wanted mercy. Lord, give me sight. Finally, we read verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus did not earn his cure. In Mark's gospel, faith is the arena in which salvation takes place. And the the words translated here, has made you well, that's a good translation, but it comes from the same word, the same Greek word that means salvation or that you have been saved. This wasn't just physical healing. Bartimaeus was delivered by faith and Christ commended it. We know that faith is a gift of God. That's a gift that God has to give. We can't boast about faith. So God granted Bartimaeus faith and then Jesus commends this blind beggar for exercising the gift that God had given him. Yesterday, we had a, there was a picnic that our family attended for our oldest daughter's birthday and she had a lot of friends there as well. And one of those good friends has a 17 month old little boy. And he, was the, he, he stole the show, he's toddling around everybody in and out of, in and out of the people and, and his name was Ezra. And as I'm watching Ezra go about, he's picking things up and he, he got these two wooden sticks and would drop them and I watched one of our daughters go over and pick them back up and hand them to him. And so he's, he's holding these two wooden sticks and then she showed him how to tap them and make a sound and she, she handed him the sticks, held his hands, made them made the sound with him like rhythm sticks and then she cheered for him. And he went, this look of sheer joy and surprise. She did everything and then cheered for him. Jesus, our savior, 
stopped to hear the cry of a blind beggar, called him to him, asked him what he wanted, and then commended him for his faith, faith which even Christ had given him. Christ did it all. And Christ knew in that moment when he said, by this you are saved, you are made well, you are whole, he knew that he was gonna have to climb those 3,300 feet to Jerusalem and a hill on Calvary and down a cross for blind Bartimaeus to be saved. And Jesus cheered for him as he showed faith in him. (laughs) What kind of love is that? That's the love of our Savior. That is the love of Christ. Look, finally, one more thing. The last phrase, this commentary, and immediately he, that is Bartimaeus, recovered his sight and followed him, that is Jesus, on the way. Jesus said, you're well, go your way. Bartimaeus says, your way is my way. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna follow you. And it would not surprise me at all if as that crowd made their way up to Jerusalem with a previously blind beggar maybe leading the charge and as they arrived in Jerusalem that it was Bartimaeus who announced, this is the son of David. It may have been Bartimaeus himself who began the cheers. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it wasn't Bartimaeus leading the chant and leading the charge. Brothers and sisters, this isn't just the story of our conversion or the conversion of Bartimaeus. This is the story of the Christian life, of our need for God's mercy, of us calling out to the Messiah who is the trustee of mercy and grace, of him calling us and asking us, what do you long for? And he longs for us to share our desires and our longings with him and then him giving us faith to believe and follow him. What's your story? Is your story that you have a desperate need for mercy? Is your story that you've cried out to Christ, that you run to him, you share your longings with him, that you trust him, and that you'll follow him by faith? That's what he invites us to over and over, even today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this short and incredible story not just of Bartimaeus, but of our Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are powerful and compassionate, that you are steadfast and yet you are willing to stop and tend to someone who is desperate. And we thank you that you are the same Savior today. We thank you that we live now on the other side of the cross and the other side of your victory over death and your ascension and we praise you as our risen prophet and priest and king. We praise you as our good shepherd. Help us to run to you and know that you are ready and willing to receive us over and over. In Christ's name, amen.